Well, as we step into our last morning together, I want you to be thinking about something that you have had to relearn. What is something that as an adult, you have done one way for a lot of years and then had to relearn it? Like maybe you switched careers partway through and you had to go into that learning curve of what that is. Uh, maybe you decided to start eating healthier and so you had to learn to, to prepare food more healthy or make healthier choices. What is something as an adult that you have had to relearn? Uh, for me, I'll tell you, um, most of my relearning has to do with electronics. Anybody else kind of having to relearn the electronics? A while back, I switched from being a longtime iPhone user to being an Android user. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, and it's a, a whole different thing because the swipes are different. How you unlock it is different. And as you notice, just in that little sentence where I said I switched, a little bit of animosity between the two groups. One of the things I had to get used to is my 16-year-old, who is a committed, avid iPhone user, just teases me endlessly. Um, I think it's in your guys' contract that like, if somebody leaves the family, you kind of have to shun them. Just a quick sense here. Where are my Android users? The proud, the few. Where are my iPhone users? I hear the bullying in your voice a little bit. What is the thing that you have maybe had to relearn lately with all of, many of us having kids that are back in school or in school for the first time, having to relearn and readjust to a new schedule? Or when you, when you switch jobs or you move and you have been driving the same path to say your home for say 10 years, do you find, have you ever driven to your old house accidentally because you just went in automatic pilot and then you realized, oh wait, I don't live here anymore. I have to learn a new way home. And transition like that can be a little bit uncomfortable. It can be hard to, to change the way that we've been doing something, something that's been ingrained in us. It's what we know. And typically, it's not life-threatening. I mean, it's not a big deal if you end up at your old house, unless you peek in the windows. That, that would be weird. But typically, there's not a lot of urgency to undo something that we've been doing for a certain way for a long time. But once in a while, once in a while we find things in our life that are important for us to undo and do a different way if we're really gonna thrive. Some of you have maybe gotten to a point in your life, in your busyness and in your schedule where you realized you were so frantic and so chaotic that if something did not change, then something would break in you. And so you intentionally step back and you learn new habits of how to find refreshment for your soul and to create space in your schedule. And, and you see then the good things that come out of a shift like that. Some of us in our marriages, we get to a place where we're in just these difficult dysfunctional cycles of communication. And we realize that we're going to have to change something if we're going to thrive in this marriage. And so we go to counseling, we do the intentional work, and we, we make some adjustments to have a better outcome. And it's good, and it's better than it would have been. And sometimes there's these patterns that we get into in our spiritual lives and I want to suggest to you this morning that there might be some of those that need some undoing. 
if we're going to thrive in our spiritual life, if we're going to live into all that God is inviting us to live into, I think that there might be some things that are getting in the way of that. And just so that we're all on the same page, when I say our spiritual life, I mean all of it. I mean how you listen to God, how you nurture your soul, how you maybe look for God in your life, how you find meaning, how you find purpose, how you see him in your life. And we're all at different places with that, and that is okay. We're all at different places in our faith. That is absolutely okay. But I think regardless of where you're at, I think we'd all agree that there is some sort of spiritual component to our life, some sort of spiritual aspect to how we live. And in that part of our life, might there be something that is preventing us from living the life that God is inviting us to live? So in our time this morning, I want to ask you this question. I want you to be asking yourself this question. What might be getting in the way of me fully living the life that God is inviting me to live? What might be getting in your way of the life that God is inviting you to live? See, because the Bible tells us that God offers all of us grace. It says that it is a free unearned gift of love and forgiveness that is on God, and it's not based on who we are. It is a free, unearned gift from God. And if what God offers us is something like that, then I believe that he is also inviting us to live like it's real and to live like it's true and to truly live in the freedom of what that grace offers. When I was about six years old, I got invited to something called Sparky's. And uh, Sparky's is part of a larger thing called Awana. Some of you might be familiar with it. And um, here's a picture of me in Sparky's where I was given this red vest. And that meant that you were part of the Sparky's family. You were in. And then what would happen at the nights is there would be competitions and we would learn these crazy songs. It was kind of like camp every night. And then we would do Bible memorization and we would learn the Bible verses. And that was really exciting because that's where you got the bling. That's where you got the things that you got to add to your vest. See, the goal was to do all the things so that you could get a lot of bits added to your vest. Now, Wednesday night was our night that we did it. And so what would happen for me is Wednesday after school, I would do all my homework right away so that I could spend the rest of the afternoon cramming Bible verses into my head. And I was so good at memorizing. I mean, I could memorize like nobody's business. And then I would just wait patiently through all the games and through all the singing, until we got to the time where I got to sit in front of Miss Jackie and spew all my Bible verses that I had learned, and it was amazing. And I would go up to her and I would say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Boom, Miss Jackie would sign on my book. And then I would say, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God so no one can boast. Boom, Miss Jackie would sign. And then I would say, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then she would sign. And then after three signatures, I would get a jewel in my crown. You had these crown pins and they were filled with jewels. At least mine were. You would go up to Miss Jackie 
she would reach down below the table and she would pull out her jewel kit. And it was all these little bedazzles and little tiny tweezers and a little tube of super glue. And she would pick it out and with her amazing leader hands, she would gently place that jewel in my crown. And then the next week, I would do more. And eventually, I would fill my whole crown. And when I filled that crown, I got another crown. And when I did that, I got another crown. And then I got a patch. And I would just continue to do that. And in fact, then I moved up to Awana where you had bars with dangly metal icons and more patches. And it was amazing. And I had amassed so much bling. (laughs) And after six years... I had risen to the pinnacle of the Awana kingdom. (laughs) And I was awarded the Timothy Award. And everyone cheered for me. And I walked by and their mouths would gape open. There she is. The winner of the Timothy Award. And they revered me. And they wanted to be me. And my vest just dripped with decorations. And in my heart, I believed that God must be really impressed with me. I left Awana over 30 years ago, but that drive to perform for God did not go away. It says, if I started on this trajectory, not because of Awana. Awana was awesome. It's like the reason I know 80% of the Bible verses that I know. The memorization went downhill after the jewels went away. (laughs) But this trajectory started in me in those early years of faith that said the most important thing to God was that I work really hard to be a good Christian. And if I did, then God would be really proud of me. As a pastor and a speaker, I get the privilege, like I did this weekend, to to speak to a lot of people. And what I find at the bottom of a lot of our stories is that we are all working very hard for God's approval and for his acceptance and to feel like we're good enough. And even if you have never had the literal Sparky's vest like I did, my guess is that you have some type of spiritual vest that you're decorating and that you have your own way to keep track of how well you're doing with God. And specifically, I mean how well you're doing at being good enough. On some level, I think there's something in all of us that is working very hard for God's approval and his acceptance because that need in us to be approved of, to feel like we're good enough, to feel accepted is one of the most basic human needs that we have. God created us with a need to be accepted. There's just something ingrained in us 
that reaches for approval. And it starts out when we're little because everything in your world is about learning what is the right way to do something and the wrong way. How do you appropriately interact with other people? And our job as parents often is to teach them how to live in this world the right way and to follow the rules. That's part of our job as parents, right? And then you get older and you go to school and now you have teachers who are there to train you and correct you. You know, now they don't get grades till fourth grade, that actual letter grades till fourth grade. The rest of us are traumatized from the first grade C we got because we weren't very good at reading, you know, because the teacher, the whole goal is to train and correct. And then it just goes on from there. We've got our group of friends that we're trying to be accepted and have their approval. And then it's our boyfriends or our girlfriends. And then it's our coaches. And eventually it's our first boss. And we hope that they approve of us and accept us. And eventually our spouse. And then we look to our mother-in-law. Please accept me. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And on some level, we seek approval from everyone everywhere we go. And it's exhausting. It is exhausting. And it all comes down to this one question we have deep down that says, am I good enough? And we spend our lives trying to answer this question, am I good enough? Or maybe better put is, am I enough? One author says it this way, talking about what it is to struggle for approval and asking why. Why do I work for that so hard? And they write, I realized there were holes in my self-esteem that I have looked to fill with others' opinions. And that phrase really struck me. Imagine that, holes in your self-esteem that we try to fill with everyone else's opinion and approval of us. And she goes on to say, somewhere along the journey of our lives, people like me have learned that other people's opinions matter a great deal. And we are only safe if we are watching out for what they think. We feel responsible for their thoughts and we are affected deeply by their thoughts about us. And then we carry a great burden of trying to live up to others' expectations, fearful we are not doing that very thing, and eager to prove our worth to those closest to us. And I can say with 100% certainty that everyone in this room on some level can relate to this. Even the most confident people I know, really confident people on some level struggle with this question, am I enough? And then, as if all of that wasn't bad enough, just when we're dealing with other people and their opinions of us, it spills over into our relationship with God, looking to see if we have his approval. And we're like, God, look at me. I'm doing all the things and I'm not doing the things I'm not supposed to do. Are you impressed with me? Am I doing it right? Ta-da! I'm working very hard to be a good Christian. How's it going, God? Do you love me? And it's exhausting. It is exhausting. And essentially what we're doing in all of that is we are trying to decorate the vest. Remember I said we all have some sort of spiritual tracker 
to see how we're doing with God. And we put all these things on the outside of us and we hope with everything that God is impressed with us and that he's happy with us and that he believes that we're doing it right. And you know who could very much relate to this mindset? You know who got this, this exhaustion so well? Paul. Paul, the writer of most of the New Testament, because this is what he writes in Galatians, and I don't want you to turn there right now. I want you to just listen. I want you to just let these words sink in. It's in the message paraphrase. And here's what Paul writes in Galatians. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. And so I quit. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I am no longer driven to impress God. Is it not clear to you that to go back to the old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. I mean, that is a lot to absorb. As you think about your tendency, all of our tendency to want to have approval, can we just sit with that? Those words from Paul. I'm going to read parts of it again, and we're going to put those up on the screen and just let those phrases fill in your holes of self-doubt. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. My ego is no longer central. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. I am no longer driven to impress God. If a living relationship with God could come by rule keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians, a group of churches that were struggling to figure out how to not make their faith about performance. They were having these arguments because some of them had come from a Jewish context and some of them had come from a non-Jewish context and they were trying to mismatch all the rules together and figure out what are we supposed to do? What are the outward things we're supposed to do to really have faith? There's certain rules we must follow and standards we must uphold and feasts that we must celebrate so that we can impress God. And they started to look and compare to each other. Well, you're not doing it as good as I am. My faith must be a little better than yours. Well, you're not doing this and you should be doing this. This is the kind of conversation that was happening in the churches in Galatia. So Paul spends this entire book undoing this tendency in them. And the way that he does it is he brings it all back to grace, the free, unearned gift of God's acceptance. That last phrase, if a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then why did Christ bother dying? In Uganda, I told you I was there about a month ago, and I was preparing this, 
And they have at their church in Uganda an app that every day they have a different verse and thing that comes up. And so we, on Friday night, while we were there, we were at a prayer and worship service. And the pastor, she got up and she said, okay, everybody, pull out your app. Let's read our verse for the day. And it was this verse. It was the same verse that said God's free gift of grace means that you don't have to do all the things. And it hit me that no matter where we are at on this globe, no matter where we are at in our journey, that it all comes back to this. So I want you to think of grace, God's free, unearned gift of forgiveness. I want you to think of that as the vest. It is everything you need. I told you that I got my Sparky's vest on day one, as soon as my mom wrote the check. Different analogy. But she, (laughs) I got that vest. I was in, right? I want you to think about grace like that. If I had never added anything to that vest, would I still have been a Sparky? Yes, I would because I had the vest. I was in. I want you to think about grace like that. Grace is everything, everything you need to be accepted by God. Another of Paul's writings in Ephesians, it says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works. Why? So that you can't make it about you. So that no one can boast about what a good Christian they're being, yeah? God is so wise in his free gift. When Jesus died that death that was supposed to be ours, and then he overcame death, not just for himself, but for all of us through the resurrection, that life, that overcoming death became the very thing. It became the only thing that enables us to have a life with God. And yet, we have so quickly gotten in the habit of performing. But that habit needs to be undone. That tendency in us to add needs to be undone. The compulsion, the guilt that we feel when we're not checking off the boxes, it needs to be undone. Because what Jesus did, I mean, forget about anything that we do. What Jesus did, he did for us. And it is everything that we need to be in God's family. So everything, like the whole pie, the whole shebang, the whole enchilada, whatever other phrases have the word whole in them, all the things, that is what grace is. That is what Jesus' death and resurrection does for me. And guess what? Hear this. There are no buts. There are no buts. But I have to be good. No. But if we really believe, if faith is really, really real, then we should live like it. I really believe that exercise and eating healthy is better for me, but I don't live like it. But I do really believe it. There are no buts. That's not what grace says. Grace says it's nothing else. Now, my guess is that there are some of you right now that are feeling like you're getting a little sweaty. Like this is a little bit of resistance in you because that but has been there for a long time. I won't make you raise your hands, but I know you're there. 
because that was me for a long time too. Because you say, but it does matter. But it does matter. How could we accept grace and then not change our lives? Okay, hear me. Hear me on this. When we think that way, what we're doing is we are jumping ahead past grace. Because we're like, yeah, Jesus, the cross, gift, got it. What do I got to do? And we miss this. Because we're so busy saying, now, what do I have to do? That we forget the, wow, it is done. I am in that deep core that God put there for my acceptance is met in Jesus. It does not come undone with what I do or don't do. Grace is the vest, it is a free gift. No requirements other than the belief that it's actually free. You wanna know what grace requires of you? That you believe that it's actually free. For by grace are you saved through faith, not from you, but a gift from God. Grace requires that you believe that it is free it doesn't require any doing other than believing. It feels like a tiny shift. It feels like it's a little tiny shift. What's the difference? But you know what? One little tiny shift can make a huge difference. One little trajectory change allows you to end up here instead of here, yeah? A couple months ago, I was going to a speaking engagement that was about 30 miles from my home, and I punched it into Waze. Um, I don't name my GPS like some people do, but I just call it Waze, but that's cool, Mike, Pam, whatever. Um, and I punched it in to go, and instead of it taking me on the freeway, it took me on this back road. Now, I live in Livermore. It's surrounded by a lot of rolling hills. And so I got on this back road, and I thought, this is great. I mean, Waze is so smart. The, tra- the traffic on the freeway is probably all backed up, so it's taken me on this back road, and I'm getting to see these hills, and it's beautiful, and I've never been back here. This is lovely. And I saw on there that I was going to be on this road for about 15 miles, and I thought, this is great. And I'm just so sweet driving, looking at the cows, looking at all the things. It was wonderful. And then about six miles into my 15-mile journey, I remembered that I had yesterday switched my ways to avoid freeways. <laughs> so it wasn't that the freeway was backed up. It's that it thought I didn't want to go on it. And all of a sudden, everything changed. And I thought, what is this back road I am on? Am I going to run out of gas? Like, what if I don't have cell coverage? Like, this is creepy back here. Does anybody even know I'm back here? Am I even going the right way? And the whole rest of my trip, I did make it, but the whole rest of my trip was this panic just because I realized that one little thing had been switched. And because of that one little thing, my entire experience was different. If you made this seemingly small shift, this little switch in how you understand grace, I think it would change everything about how you experience God in your life. If you really believe that God's acceptance of you does not change when you behave badly or when you doubt him, 
or when you keep messing up in the same way, if you really believed that God's acceptance of you does not change, do you know how freeing that would be? Do you believe that God's grace is thorough? Do you believe that God's grace is sufficient? Do you believe that you cannot outsin the depth of God's grace, that it really is a gift with no performance conditions? Because when it comes to living as people of faith, I think that that is one of the, if not the most important piece of it all. But because we're people who struggle with feeling accepted, we think, well, it can't be that easy. Nothing in my life is that easy. Even my parents who are supposed to accept me unconditionally, I kind of got to work a little. Yeah, that's the secret none of us talk about. How could this be? Because everywhere else in my life, it is not that easy. How could God accept me with no conditions other than my belief that he does? And so, instead of being profoundly moved by the depth of God's grace and sitting in that, we skip ahead and we move right to the question, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to be a good, a good Christian? Grace is that vest. We are given everything we need, but so often we put all of our focus on trying to decorate our vest by incorporating all these things that we think a good Christian is supposed to be. So you clean up your language. You start hanging around other people who are Christians. Maybe you buy a cross necklace. You start referring to random things that happened as a God thing. You get the new language, you go to church. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying stop doing these things. Like, hey, I went to Mount Hermon, there was a speaker, she told me to stop going to church. That was weird. <laughs> but here's what I am saying. Until you separate all those things that you do from having anything to do with how and why God accepts you, then those things that you do are diminishing your experience of free, unearned grace. If you want to know grace at a deeper level, you've got to start by believing that it's got nothing to do with you. If there is any nugget in your mind that the good stuff that you are doing is impressing God, or giving you some sort of spiritual credit, or proving that you're a better Christian than someone else, then you are missing what grace really is. Once you allow yourself to believe that when you have accepted God's grace, then he accepts you, even if you never did another good thing. Hear that. He accepts you even if you never did another good thing. And I'll ante up, even if you ever only did bad things the rest of your life because his grace is dependent on the work of Jesus, not on anything you do, good or bad. And once you allow that, once you believe that grace is that powerful, that sufficient, that much enough, then I think you've just begun to get a glimpse of how deeply you are accepted by God, just like you are. 
And when we receive this grace, this free grace, that is when we are born into a new self. That is when you receive the soft heart that we talked about a couple days ago. And that is when you are enlivened to be able to have that interactive relationship with God's spirit like we talked about. And he invites us to do that. That is the life he invites us to in your freedom of knowing that you can't get unaccepted, you then can walk in the spirit. That is the life that he's inviting you to live. And it's not about acting a certain way. It's not about checking off spiritual milestones. It is about having access to the life-giving spirit that is in you. Staying in Galatians, Paul goes on and he talks about, let me help you see what it looks like when you walk in that spirit, in the freedom of full acceptance, in the knowledge of final security, and you walk in the spirit. Here's what he says, Galatians 5. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, when you're not walking in the spirit, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, all this other bad stuff, selfish ambition, division, blah, 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 sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right, now when I read this, I think to myself, hmm, because that sounds like a list to me. Kind of sounds like a list. Here's all the stuff you definitely should not do. Here's all the things you definitely should do. And I sit there in this, in this dichotomy and I think, but this is Paul who just spent five chapters and 18 verses saying it's not about what you do. It is about the free gift of grace. And then all of a sudden he's like, here's the list though in case you wanted it. And that does not sound like the Paul I know from Galatians. What is he saying here? And here is, again, a little shift, but it is a big shift. What if we don't look at this like a to-do list and a not-do list? What if we looked at it like these are indicators? These are gauges. You know, you have gauges on your car, and it tells you what's unseen matters. The unseen matters matter, like we talked about last night. What if these are gauges that give you some insight about what is going on with you? What if this list is a way that you can gauge how am I doing at living in the spirit of walking this life in freedom that God has invited me to live? Let me look at the indicators. If my life is characterized by the things that are the sinful desires and the arguing and the sexual immorality and all the things and the dissensions and all these things that are not life-giving, if my life is characterized by those, guess what? that tells me I'm, I'm probably not walking with the Spirit because that's the fruit that's coming out. But if, on the other hand, my life is characterized by love and goodness and kindness and gentleness, then that tells me, tells me how I'm doing at living with the Spirit, walking with the Spirit. But these conversations are separate from my acceptance with God. 
You know, that verse we said, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And it says it's not about works. It's a gift so that we can't boast. The very next, word, very next verse says this, Ephesians 2, 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And what that means in good works, it means to live into the goodness of God in such a way that we point other people to God's love and acceptance. We are called to live into, to walk into, to see this kind of fruit in our lives. That's what God invites us to. Right after that section, Paul goes into a whole piece about reconciliation between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so I always think those must be connected because that was his flow of thought, which means that the good works that we live into should bring unity and reconciliation. Because when you make it about the things you do, you know what the next step is? We compare and we judge. Mike talked about that. Don't judge. We compare and we judge, and something in us, because we're human, when we compare and we come out a little shinier, doesn't go good. And yet, when we see that it is through grace we are secure in our acceptance, and that we are created to live a life that is full of the fruit of the Spirit, and God says, look at your life. It'll be a gauge to know how much are you walking with my spirit. And it's helpful to know these things because it helps us know, do I have a soft heart or do I have a hard heart? It helps you know, am I walking with the spirit? Just look at the fruit in your life. But what grace says, here's what grace says, that even when you're on the negative side, even when all the fruit is the bad fruit, grace says God is not keeping track of it and holding it against you. That's what grace says. It's that separation. You get it? Now, there is this little phrase in here that always troubled me because I understood Paul. I understood him saying that grace is everything. It's not undone. How could I undo it with my badness if it's not based on me? And yet, there's this tiny little phrase in there that talks about when you do all these bad things, it says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I look at that and my first thought is, wait a second, this is saying if I live like this, then, then I don't get to see heaven. Then maybe grace gets taken away and I sat with that and I did not like that. And then when I look deeper into it, because I thought, again, this isn't fitting with the grace that Paul's been talking about. How could I undo it? It's not about me. In rabbinic language, typically when the phrase kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God was used, typically it was never referring to heaven or the afterlife. It was never used, it was rarely used in an eschatological form. Instead, it was about kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, meant the rulership, the superiority of God here now on earth. That is what that phrase would typically mean. And that means that when you live into these things that are not the fruit of the Spirit, that you are not experiencing the rulership of God in your life. Again, it's an indicator. God's not in charge here. When you follow the Spirit, when you walk with the Spirit, it comes out here. Another place in Galatians, Paul says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. So we have freedom 
to look at these things, to look at the outflow of our life and know that it does not disqualify us from God's acceptance. But it shows us, not to compare to anybody else, it shows us how are we doing at living the life, the free, full, secure, love-driven life that God has empowered us to live. This weekend, we have been circling around these ideas of what it is to be new, to, to live in the newness that is our reality. Mike has been using this theme of counterintuitive. What is counterintuitive? Following Jesus is counterintuitive. One of the most counterintuitive things for we who are asking if we are good enough is to realize this truth that God's grace makes that question irrelevant. That question that we ask that we so want to have answered that is intuitive in us, the counterintuitive is that grace says, you don't have to ask that question. You are enough, you are accepted because of my work on your behalf. You know, in just a little bit, you're gonna get in your cars and you're gonna begin re-entry into your real world, your real life. I hope that, that what we've talked about this morning, that this idea of grace that won't fluctuate is something that, that keeps resonating with you. Because right now, like, you are excited, you are motivated, you have been poured into. A lot of that's going to end when you get in the car with your smelly teenager and your cranky toddler, okay? It's suddenly going to be nowhere to be found. And you're going to head down that hill, and you are going to want so much to live up to everything that you committed to God that you would do, and that you have been inspired, and that you have been realigned to do. And I will tell you right now, it's not going to work. It didn't work for Paul. It's not going to work for you. But here's what you've got to know about the journey. That God is not waiting for you to fail. God is not keeping track. He doesn't have a checklist. He's not disappointed with you that you keep falling into the same patterns. Somebody very wise told me recently that we can't surprise God, right? You believe that? We can't surprise God. Disappointment comes when your expectations aren't met. How could a God who could never be surprised have his expectations not met? God's not disappointed in you. He knows you. He sent the greatest sacrifice because of all the ways that we fail. He's not depending on you to uphold your end of grace. He says, I have made you new. My grace is sufficient for you every day, no matter what side of the fruit comes out. And I think that if we could live into that truth deeply in our lives, that it would change everything. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we don't know what to do other than to say yes. Thank you. Thank you for being a God who is big enough and whose grace is thorough enough that even in our wandering, that you have already met every requirement for us. 
We sang earlier that we know that Jesus' blood is everything. It is all of our righteousness. And so God, for those of us who struggle with guilt, for those of us who never feel like we check enough boxes, for those of us that look back on our life and we see all these wasted years, God, I pray that a fresh installation of your love and grace would fall on them today. God, that when we get to the bottom of things, that all we do is we look at you and we say thank you, that in the end, it is your acceptance that matters and it is done. God, don't let us step past the wow of you. In Jesus' name, amen.